If you have joined us for previous tales, welcome back. If this is your first time at the Plinth, we welcome you with open arms. We invite you to enjoy Tales from the Plinth podcast, where we will navigate the physical therapy profession and all avenues it includes. Through in-depth interviews and testimonies from licensed physical therapists across the nation, you will leave the Plinth with a better appreciation for clinical practice and the inspiration to write your own tales. May you learn, laugh, and listen. With Tales from the Plinth. Hey everyone, welcome back to Tales from the Plinth. We have Morgan Books joining us today. Morgan is an associate athletic trainer and physical therapist working at Notre Dame Athletics. She works primarily with their cross country and track and field teams and also has a certification as an orthopedic manual therapist. She received both her undergraduate and graduate degrees from Central Michigan University as well. Morgan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. I have worked at Notre Dame for four years. Um, Prior to that, I worked in an outpatient physical therapy clinic that uh, primarily worked with um, athletic individuals. Um, I worked at some local high schools on the weekends that coordinated with our outpatient physical therapy clinic, like soccer games and, and coverage for lacrosse like that. Um, I graduated uh, with my physical therapy degree from Central Michigan uh, in 2014. Well, what kind of sparked your interest in physical therapy and working with the athletic population? Um, I've always loved sports. I did, um, I swam competitively since I was eight. Um, I played soccer, travel soccer growing up. Um, Those are my two favorites. Um, And then, well, I've always been interested in the rehab aspect of it because I like, uh, when I was younger, I broke my right arm, uh, I think in fourth grade and my left arm in kindergarten or so. Like, so I did a lot of physical therapy. Um, I was told at one point that I was never going to be able to move my right arm past 90 degrees ever again, just because of how bad the break was. But we found a physical therapist. He didn't give up on me. He made it fun. There was a pool at his clinic. So we did he knew I'd like to swim. So we, we rehabbed in the pool and then he would stretch and we go do pool workouts and stuff. So I liked the fun and the interactive and creating a, a good connection with somebody to get them back to doing what they want to do. And then uh, senior year, I guess it was junior year of high school. I tore my ACL, fractured my patella and tore my meniscus playing soccer. So then I got to work really closely with the athletic trainer at my school. I didn't really know of the profession very much just that we had an athletic trainer at our soccer games. Um, Never really interacted with them before that. Um, So going to Central Michigan, my whole plan was to go into physical therapy, but then getting to know my athletic trainer, I thought that'd be a good step in stone into the physical therapy profession, going through athletic training first, because then it was still a, a bachelor's degree. So I could get my athletic training, a lot of overflow with physical therapy, and then go straight into that. I knew I always wanted to do something with rehab and sports, and that seemed like a really good blend. Well, awesome. Um, I wanted to delve in a little bit more into uh, your current job with Notre Dame Athletics. Um, So Morgan, for those who see themselves doing what you're doing right now, working at a a big time university like Notre Dame um, and in that athletic department, 
Um, how does one get from point A to point B? You know, do, did they have certain prerequisites for you to actually attain that job? Did you have to have that prior experience as, you know, in athletic training and, and PT combined to do it? Um, well, the way that Notre Dame is set up, some other universities may most likely are different. Um, what they, they wanted someone who could be, is a certified athletic trainer, but also had a physical therapy background. So um, I came from a high volume clinic. We, we treated, since it was mostly, mostly um, athletic individuals, I'd have three to four an hour, a lot of overlap. So I knew um, how to prescribe rehab and keep an eye on somebody across the room while still doing manual on them. And then kind of that flow, which is very similar to the training room. Um, and I think what Notre Dame was looking for is that they want, uh, right now we have three, including myself, physical therapists um, working with athletics. So they want, they wanted a few physical therapists on staff to also oversee uh, post-surgical cases. But since I have my own team, I needed to be an athletic training certified as well. So I had a friend who works on staff at Notre Dame and I didn't even know the position was available and she's a physical therapist as well. She did her physical therapy road uh, clinical at Notre Dame. She was the first one from Northeastern to do that. I believe that's where she went. Should know, but I feel that's where she went. Um, and then she went back and got her athletic training degree and then got hired on at Notre Dame. And so this position came available. She told me about it. I looked into it more. I researched who was working there and what um, what qualifications I would need. And then I applied and we got it. Awesome. So you came from a very busy, high volume outpatient orthopedic clinic. Um, what's your typical day look like, like at Notre Dame, like on a busy day, on an easy day? What like what do things look like for you? Um, a lot of communication. Um, since there is about 90 plus track athletes on our team right now, um, if I'm not seeing them, they usually are texting me, asking me a question like, Hey, Morgan, I rolled my ankle last night. What can I do? Typically my answer is come in and see me. Let's talk about it or ice and elevate it, you know, like just as brief and easy as possible. Or I, um, I think at most during the season where people are typically feeling the roughest, uh, I could see anywhere from 15 to 25 people a day. Um, it's not all at once, but a lot of it can be <clears throat> them getting the ice bath where I have to be present for. And it's not just me anymore. Um, we hired on Emily. Uh, she also helps. She is primary tennis and secondary track. And so she is an athletic trainer. Um, and so we work together and uh, try to overlap best we can, but then a lot of it's divide and conquer. And then um, some of it's, uh, I try and set up eval, evals for new injuries in the morning because that's not usually the busy time. The busy time is between two and 3.30. Everyone wants to get in right before practice. And so if anything's new, I try and push it to the morning best I can, but we're at the mercy of everyone's schedule. So if it's noon and that's when someone needs to come in, that's that's how it's gonna work. So you find so. yourself like blending the two pretty often, right? Like what like because there's a certain balance between being a physical therapist 
being an athletic trainer and, you know. Mm -hmm. Both have very, um, a lot of overlapping skills, but in when I put on my athletic training hat, it's very triage, like, hey, how can I get you back on the field? Um, what tape, what brace, what can we do? What can we make you feel good now and deal with it later? Physical therapists, like, let's um, see what we can do now to see how we can feel better long-term in a week or two, in a couple weeks. Like, what can we do for that? So it's, when I first started Notre Dame, it was very hard to flip those hats. Now I feel a little bit more comfortable and like I can see the different pieces. And is it important that this person practice today? Yeah, they gotta they gotta get braced. They gotta do what they gotta do. They gotta get it in. Or no, they can take a couple of days, and we can really dive into what's going on, why this problem developed. I think track is very well suited for a physical therapist um, because a lot of the injuries, a majority of the injuries, are more chronic based, overuse. So it's not like someone came in and had a very acute injury, other than. Um, my funniest one, someone ran into a pole on the golf course. They run around this pole all the time, but usually the teammates in front of them say pole. And then they didn't that day. And that person ran right into it, bruised their ribs. And it was just, <laughs> it was, it's funny now. I felt bad for them before. I'm, I'm a good person, but at the same time, like, or acute things like spraining their ankle, um, stepping off a curb or things like that, those are acute, right? But a lot of times it's IT band syndrome has started to develop or piriformis or low back pain that's just only aggravated after five or six miles for my distance people, like trying to figure out what that is. Or I guess a hamstring strain for my sprinters that, that can come on like that. But a lot of it is more of, let's see what you can do in practice, but let's mix in some rehab at the same time so we're not repeating this months down the line. Awesome. Thank you for giving us that perspective on both of the professions. It's such a unique tool that you have to, to kind of wear both hats. Um, and my question that I had um, when I thought of it was, how do you balance or how often do you balance restoring and triaging uh, an injury and how much time do you spend preventing it? But I think you kind of answered that based on what hat you're wearing, which is really cool. Um, but I do want to dive into your um, orthopedic manual therapy certification. Um, what kind of led you that route to, to pursue that? So in the, the outpatient clinic that I worked in, it was highly encouraged that um, everybody, all the employees obtain the certification. So it's more um, continuum of care. So if, if we're all speaking the same language and using the same treatments, anybody could cover anyone's patient and care load. Or I could look at your notes if you were gone and say, oh, he was doing an AP MOBE of um, the L5S1 and he was using grade three. I could replicate that and know what it was and we could take and move it on. So the, the patient wasn't missing any care because you were gone. Um, I, I did it just because it was highly encouraged and we all could do it together. And I thought it was great to have that kind of common um, language. But once I got into it, I really liked the fact that they almost, um, they taught me a new way to eval and ask questions. They uh, wanted, they tried to almost push us away from doing special tests. So, you know, in school you have to memorize 
however many tests for the meniscus, however many tests for the shoulder, and they're all pain provoking. So if someone's in pain and this test is meant to cause pain, are all my tests gonna be positive? Probably. And so does that leave me any kind of care if five shoulder tests are positive and does it direct me in any single way? I don't know. There was one course that pulled the three tests that are likely together that will help make, <laughs> to help you understand if it's the sciatic nerve or if it's the rotator cuff or the bicep, do these three tests, if they're all positive, then it's likely the sciatic nerve. Do these three tests that if they're all positive, it's likely the rotator cuff versus the bicep. But basically what CMT taught me was how to ask questions, more questions and actual hands-on to help drive my care, but keep it broad and then narrow it down. So I kind of, I like that a lot. And that's what I use a lot in my, in my evaluations at, uh, at work with um, the track athletes, because I can ask like just a yes or no question and they'll give me very like, not by any fault of their own short-sighted answers. Like, Hey, did it hurt when you run yesterday? Yes. Describe the pain. Um, hasn't been going on for a while. Like, does it come on immediately or uh, two, three miles in? Does it go away after you run farther? Does it get worse? Um, paint me a picture of where it's at. Does it travel? Does it go, is it highly irritable or does it go away and resolve after you're done running? Does it linger into the next morning? Like, how aggressive can I be with rehab if they're telling me, very little makes it mad the or brings the pain on and um, it lingers for hours. So I, I'm not gonna be doing any kind of aggressive treatments if that's their case, but if they're like, oh, it, it comes on um, after about six or seven miles and then it resolves when I'm done running, yeah, we can really get into it. We could do some heavy lifting. We could really get some aggressive stretching in and not worry that I'm upsetting or taking off their pain where they can't go run the next day, but we can really get into it. So on top of this new perspective on, on evaling uh, that's been effective for you, are there any other, um, I guess, menu therapy techniques that you have found effective or that you think therapists should learn? Um, I don't, I'm not too sure about techniques specifically. I don't um, have any that are like my go-to that I use all the time. It's just more of when I was in um, the training for the COMT, I realized I don't push enough pressure. I do not, I'm too, I was too gentle. It was probably my first year out of school and you don't want to hurt somebody who's already in pain, but then working with those teachers, like they pushed hard, but it wasn't point pressure. They used their whole body, their hands. It wasn't like best way to describe it, angry fingers, but at the same time, they're just applying pressure and, but it was moving joints and moving me specifically in a way that was purposeful. And so I learned to give more pressure and actually not be afraid to get in there. Like, like there's, and I mean this with all due respect, but student pressure, because you want to be gentle and nice, but then there's like orthopedic surgeon pressure, right? Like they're not afraid to just really move somebody who's just been post-op, right? And so finding that happy medium, so you don't like upset someone's injury so much, but at the same time, like being confident in utilizing movement that's going to be purposeful. 
Um, I think that's wonderful, Morgan. Uh, a large population that listens to our podcast are students. So getting to learn a little bit more about the specialty is great because it gives everyone an idea of what their options are. And you're totally correct with like, I know for myself included, my pressure is not as strong as it should be because it's so hard knowing like what good pressure is compared to like, you never want to hurt the patient. So I think that sounds like a really great way to just take your education to the next step to get better with manual. Um, Do you find yourself using these techniques day to day? You said um, with your evaluation skills, you feel like you've improved um, working with your Notre Dame athletes, but do you still use like the manual techniques as well that you've learned? A little bit. Um, So as part of the the CMT, we learn uh, peripheral first and then spine. I don't use spine as much uh, mobilization because we do have a chiropractor on staff who um, works very closely with the athletic trainers and the physical therapists. So if someone ever has slept wrong or has just kind of feels locked up or general pain in the spine, I usually send them to um, our chiropractor and then he'll loosen them up and then they'll come back to me and we'll try and do um, restorative exercises to maintain that new freedom of movement that the chiropractor has achieved. So my, my spinal mobilization is a little bit rusty, but at the same time, um, I, I honestly, the, the most I use joint mobilization wise is usually like ankle moves post ankle sprain, just to get some freedom of movement in there. Um, maybe a little bit of hip mobilization. If someone comes in with just like hip bursitis or snapping hip or just like almost piriformis syndrome. So a little bit of that, but a lot of it's more of uh, trying to progress and overload their muscles because why did this chronic overuse thing happen is because they're trying to compensate for some sort of weakness or instability or something going on that we can help fix with more strengthening. Okay, I'm going to go a little off script here. So last night I was at Olive Garden with my parents and we just got done with the third round of endless salad. And I figured, you know what, why don't I ask my parents for a perspective on maybe some questions they would have um, for you. And what they told me uh, to ask was, how do you find um, you are able to balance your work life with your family life? Um, we know you have a, a child who is currently napping, um, but it sounds like you don't have a typical nine to five job. Um, and how are you able to balance your work and family life? Oof. Uh, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Um, I actually have two kids, uh, Logan, she's four and John who's napping. He's a year and a half. Um, so, uh, luckily I have a very supportive husband who, um, takes care of them when I travel with the team. So like indoor season's coming up. So we usually leave anywhere between Wednesday and Thursday and come back either late Saturday or, or Sunday, depending on the week and what meet we're going to. Um, it's, it's tough. I, I really try and run um, my rehabs, like a physical therapy clinic. I send out my schedule each week. I tell them the times that are available to sign up for rehab. And I expect people to sign up for them. Now, 
injuries pop up during the week. And so I'll get a message saying, hey, can I come in at this time? I really, really try and push so that all treatments and things are done before practice. I'm not doing any treatments post-practice. There's not a lot of rehab that I can do at that point that can't wait till the next morning, especially if I've been there all day and I want to get home and try and make bedtime or dinner because practices now that everyone's moving inside to indoor track um, can run pretty late. And so uh, if it's not emergency, then I usually try and, and push somebody to the next day, ice, rest, let's, let's take a look at it in the morning that hopefully it's calmed down. And if not, then we'll, we'll do an intervention. Um, I, when I switch on to my home Wi-Fi. I turn my phone onto private or like personal and turn on one of those settings. And um, so the texts don't go to my watch anymore. Otherwise I'd be looking, looking, looking. And I really try and educate the kids, um, I guess, student athletes that um, when I'm home, it's, I want to be with my family. I am yours all day. You can text me all the time, email me if you need to, but I don't, it's, they just, it's almost like just, you need to set boundaries because otherwise I'll get texts all day, all night. I got one last night at 1030 asking me a question that did not need to be asked at 1030, but I understand my schedule where I get up at 530 every morning with my kids is a lot different. So I'm not up at 1030 <laughs> and 1030 may not feel late for people, but it does for me. And then, um, or like text at six o'clock, that's when we try and have dinner as a family and people are texting me to meet the next day where it didn't need to happen at six o'clock or I don't need to answer at six. A lot of it's me maintaining those boundaries too. Like I wanna respond right away. I wanna be, I wanna be there for the people because I have a relationship with these athletes. I want them to know that I fully support them all the time. But then I also gotta keep my family in mind too. So it's a lot of give and take. Um, and I'm still learning how to best do that. But I think once athletes understand that I have boundaries and they don't expect me to answer right away when it's after work hours, then everything's fine. We're all going to get there. And it's just, it's me maintaining those boundaries. I think. I hear you. I have a friend who, um, she's an athletic trainer for Akron right now, and she's doing like football season. And she, and, and she, like, she has the same exact complaint. She's like, like this athlete just texted me at 11 o'clock about a toothache. What, you know, like what, what could I do about a toothache? You know? So yeah, like boundaries, they're, they're important. You've got to do it. And then now you're worried about the toothache. Like, should we go? To, does it, is it big enough? Because in my mind, if I'm reaching out to somebody to tell them that my tooth hurts, it's emergency. Let's go time. But it's just more of communication, I think. And people want to be heard for a majority of little tiny issues. Are athletic trainers certified in, in pulling teeth? No, but <laughs> but we had a person dislocate their jaw one time, yawning, and there it got stuck, dislocated. And oh no. The the process to relocate it is you stick your thumbs in their mouth and pull down. And I couldn't do it. I could. I didn't have enough pressure. I wasn't strong enough. So I went and took her to our team physician. I was like, this is the second jaw I had to relocate this week. I guess a volleyball player earlier in the week had to do it. So I don't know what was going on, a full moon or something, but I've never had to relocate a job. I couldn't, haven't been able to, but I tried. That was pretty, 
That was a fun new day. fear unlocked. Thanks, Morgan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I've seen like chiropractors on like videos, like TikToks and stuff, like like relocate them or do like TMJ moves and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. it's wild. Um, it sounds like from what you've talked about in your stories that you have like a whole a whole all hands on deck approach. So there's like a team physician, there's you and a couple other therapists, and then there's um, a chiropractor. How's it like day to day working and communicating with these different um, professions? And is there anyone else I'm missing other than like the chiropractor and the team physician? Because that sounds awesome. Like just a lot of feedback with other professions. Oh, yeah, we have. Um, a lot of resources. I think aside from making um, relationships with my, my athletes over the course, because track and field athletes are, they typically uh, compete all four years or say five years. There's, it's not like a transfer portal with, with other sports or graduate early. Like I get to know these people on a very personal basis and it's, it's fun. It, you get to see them succeed in something that they love. I think that's my favorite part of this job, but my, my second favorite is the amount of resources that are available at this university. We have sports psychologists, um, three on staff currently, um, one, <clears throat> so they each divide up the teams and try and be present as much as possible. And then um, team physician, um, I think there's three, three at the university that are designated specifically for sports. And then, and they also have um, general public responsibilities with the rest of the university, but they come to the, the training room a couple times a week for open hours where we schedule some athletes with them if we need like an x-ray done or something like that. We have an x-ray machine in one of our training rooms. So um, if someone needs an x-ray done late and we can't get them into the local facilities and we send them to the training room and a tech comes. Um, we have three dietitians, um, who, uh, and so, and then we also do, those dietitians are trained in how to perform DEXA scans and body, um, comp measurements. And so I usually use the DEXA scan to measure, uh, bone density for people who, um, propose, propose red flags at, uh, the start of the season with their physicals, um, females who haven't had a menstrual cycle, uh, multiple stress fractures, both male or female, or typically freshmen, so we can get a, a baseline of what their bone density is, and then do interventions according to that. Um, let's see what else we got. We got uh, one chiropractor, two other physical therapists, um, one works with men's lacrosse, and one works with football. Basically, a lot of communication between the coaches, all the support staff. Um, usually I'm trying to communicate with, I don't know, um, half a dozen people every couple hours just, hey, did so-and-so check in with their appointment or oh, I did, uh, doc, what did, do we need to get extra on this person and, and do the follow-up that way. So it's kind of like, I'm trying to navigate all these aspects of medicine and performance to allow the athlete not to have to worry about it and just set up each appointment as needed. That is awesome that you are so well equipped with staff, especially right on site. Cause I think whenever you go outside of campus, you're like, well, what doctor are they seeing? What chiropractor? It's kind of nice to keep it all controlled. 
um, especially the psychologist is really awesome to have on staff because I feel like a lot of times with a physical injury, there's always that mental block too. Like, am I gonna get hurt again? What did I do this time that I need to change so it doesn't happen? So I really think that's a great resource for the athletes too. Um, but my question is, I know you said you communicate a lot with the coaches. Do you receive any resistance from them as far as like, we need them back on the, the track right now and you're like, slow your roll. They, got, they still, they can't even walk yet. Like, do you ever have that type of resistance? Um, I wouldn't say resistance, more of like clarifying questions. They ask, well, why is it going to take that long? Can it go any faster? Um, I think they, when I say an injury happens, their mind immediately goes to um, one, they care about the athlete. So we're skipping after that part, their mind goes to the amount of training that needs to be done to get to the goal that they, had, that they and the athlete has set for the season. So if, if a hamstring strain happens at week two of indoor, it's gonna take, depending on the severity, about six to eight weeks if it's a minor one to really feel great again and being able to run fast again. Um, and could be even longer if it was a more substantial strain. And that's if we don't have any setbacks. That's close to the end of indoor right there. So it depends on what we're at. Indoor runs from, starts in December kind of because Christmas break, right? But majority of the meets go in January and then conference is the end of February. So we have a very finite time. And so I think when I tell the coaches of a certain injury, they, um, one, they're all very, knowledgeable of like what certain injuries mean towards their specific event and like how much downtime is needed but they I don't I'd only push back if you could call it that is more of just wanting to know why or what can we do to make it progress faster but I've never gotten pushback especially from this coaching staff on like um trying to get someone back before they're ready usually they just they want to make sure that um, we're progressing as fast as we can, but never to an unsafe standard, which I really appreciate. Um, we, as a staff, we get together on a weekly basis to talk about the whole team, like all aspects, academic advisor comes in, the sport administrator comes in, and um, all the coaches, the strength staff, we all talk about different aspects of, hey, these meets are coming up, these people are running in these meets, these people are throwing in these meets. Um, I'm like, okay, these are the injuries, X, Y, Z. Academic advisor's like, hey, just so you know, it's midterms week, no one's sleeping right now. So just be aware. Um, or these people are on the bubble and they have extra stress with their grades right now. Um, understand that because injury increases significantly when there's less rest, less than six hours of sleep. Um, the amount of injury increases our amount of injury rate increases. So that's always good to know um, and ability to recover. And then else, and then um, strength comes in and say, all right, if these meets are coming up, we're gonna scale it back this week or maybe do a heavy front load um, on Monday and then um, ease off the rest of the week so people feel rested and ready to go for the meet. And so we all get together on a weekly basis and, and talk that out. And then, um, but then I also like will text and call the coaches, be like, hey, this came up. Um, so and so's discharged from physical therapy. They're all yours now. Go for it. Or so and so, I haven't seen this person in a week or so. Are they doing okay? And the coach will say, yes, they are. Or, no, they're not. And then we'll intervene and get that person to come back in, or we'll just see what's going on. 
Sorry, I went wow. on a tangent there. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. That was very good. Um, very involved, but it makes sense that at such a prestigious college that 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 you guys do have access to those resources. Um, like you guys, your sports programs are a big deal. So that makes sense. Um, but so you talked about like, you get to use like the bone mineral density scans um, for like screening and stuff like that, which I thought was fascinating. Um, do you have like, so do you guys have like other sports performance things that you use? Like if you wanted to analyze an athlete's um, running mechanics, for instance, do you guys have anything that can like track that or look at that? Or do you solely rely on like your eyes, your experience, kind of what you see? Um, <clears throat> running mechanics, uh, typically eyes uh, for me, myself, that's, I haven't been trained in other aspects on how to observe it, but we do have a system called DARI. It's basically there's you're in front of a big green screen, there's cameras all over and the person stands in front of it and they look at body mechanics, squatting, jumping, and it can break down the angles and everything for there. So we have that. And then we also have force plate where they do jump testing and uh, test your power between three jumps. We have a thing called um, Nord board where uh, basically you do a Nordic hamstring curl on a, a pad and um, these two hooks on your feet or on your ankles. And so as you lean forward, it tests the strength that you're doing between both hamstrings. So if it's even and equal, or if you're favoring one side more than the other, it can test that out. We do have an Ultra G in the track building um, that looks at your cadence. So one, it measures your cadence, your weight distribution between either side, your step length. And so usually when someone's coming back from an injury, I have them get on that and say, hey, if you're not within a certain percentage on either side, or if your step length's way different, you're, you're compensating, you're not ready to start running. So we try and do that. Um, let me think of anything else. Uh, we have uh, a biodex that uh, we usually use if someone's coming back from an ACL tear or um, a big knee surgery, we wanna make sure their quad and hamstring ratio is appropriate. Um, and then other like the, the triple hop and the, the single hop for distance test, we use those to assess that, make sure people are, are ready and moving appropriately. Do you ever analyze shoes? Cause I know sometimes the gear is just as important as the athlete. So I, there was a part in our curriculum, I think like a, a class period, we assessed each other's shoes and we like bent them in half and to see if they were supportive. Do you ever run into that? Oh, that's the hot topic shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Every runner has their shoe that they like to wear. Um, so Notre Dame is sponsored by Under Armour. So we are, you're supposed to wear and run in Under Armour shoes. However, we all know that people's foot mechanics are not all the same. What would fit me well may not fit you well, um, may not fit another person. And so what I try to do is um, one, we, we have them try some Under Armour shoes in the type that they like, the stability or neutral, uh, whatever brands those are, or um, types of shoes. And then um, if those still don't work for them, then we try and figure out 
what they need. But by the time that they are in, in college, they've been running for so long, they know what type of shoe works for them and the kind that they need. Now, um, there are certain brands that are not as, uh, that we can't necessarily buy the athletes with athletic budget being a Notre Dame sponsored school. There's certain brands that are not in our contract that we can buy, but there are certain brands that we can. So we're not forcing people to wear shoes that would cause them to run differently or cause injuries. We, we don't, not in the business of that, but at the same time, like people need to have an open mind that say they've been running in this type of shoe their whole life. They need to have an open mind to try another type of a stability shoe in a different brand to see if it'll work. And if it does great, let's, let's try it. But, uh, I do some orthotic printing. So um, we basically have these boxes with almost like the plant foam or like the moldable foam, mold someone's foot. I send it into um, the orthotics company and then they send them back and give them to us. I usually try and do that with people who get shin splints really consistently or they um, are, uh, like they're over supinators for the most part and they really wear down the bottom of their shoe and try and give them a little support. But again, since they're in college and like they've been running for so long, I don't wanna change their stride. I don't wanna change their body mechanics or um, the way their foot hits the ground. I want to help them feel the best they can. But if I try and change even tweak a little bit, then I'm putting them at risk for, for other injuries in different areas. I think that's really important to think about the shoe and you're so right. Like everyone has a brand or like a specific type, especially runners, if they're used to a certain type of shoe wear for so many years. Um, that's really interesting. And also I like that you guys can work very closely with orthotics if that's necessary. Is there anything that you also find that you do for prevention of injury? I know there's a lot of chronic injuries that can occur. You said earlier, but is there anything that you guys do prevention wise? for the whole team as a whole or anything like that? Um, the So in the past, I've worked with the coaches to um, talk about a, a, a warm-up program. Um, uh, we have a new uh, distance coach on staff this year who came from um, a little bit smaller school and he has a very intricate lunge matrix and warm-up program that he runs with his team and this is probably the healthiest I've seen that group in a while and so it's been phenomenal so I think a lot of pre-one run workouts or like post-run cool downs I I've been lucky that the coaches know to do that but also educating the athletes to hey this isn't just time to talk to be purposeful and intentional in these in these lunges and um bridges and stretches that you're doing to help keep you as healthy as possible for as long as possible. Um, we tested out like the like movement screens and things like that, but it just became, it was a lot of work for a little bit of um, benefit. Like I, I went through the entire distance squad or not distance on um, the entire track team. And I, analyze their movements, the movement screens, the computer pumped out what exercises they should be doing, how many days a week. And I could track how many times people logged into the app to do those exercises. And it was kind of just 
there wasn't a lot of buy-in. And so I don't know if it was any fault of my own or the, the time because these kids are in school. They are also doing strength a couple times a week. They're running every day. Um, they have to do study study hours and I'm going to tell them, Hey, you got to do this prehab every single day. And, and they're not injured. So it wasn't a lot of buy-in for that, but, um, it was opening, eye opening, like, Hey, these people are, are tight in these squats, this mechanics. So, um, I do work closely with the strength conditioning coach and say, Hey, these are some of the things I'm seeing as of late. Can you implement some more rotator cuff strengthening for our throwers. Can you do some more um, pails and rails or cars with the distance runners and their hips? So they work on the full range of motion and the strength. So it's not necessarily falling a lot on me to do preventative, but more of like seeing it holistically, like working with the coaching staff and the strength staff and, and everybody on page, like, hey, these, these are what will help. And I need everybody just to be on board to coordinate with the athletes. And so instead of me giving them extra things to do, if it's getting done somewhere, then that's great. Whether it's with me or with the, the coaches. Well, that's awesome. I think prevention's huge. Um, we've talked with a lot of our other guests on here previously about what they like to do for prevention, because that is where it starts. Um, the buy-in's tough, especially exactly what you're saying when you have athletes that are also students first. So they have so much on their schedule, so much on their plates that just doing all these preventatory um, exercises and stuff maybe isn't their priority, especially like you said, they're not injured. So I really like that the coaches and everyone's involved as a team. So that way there's just a big approach to uh, really good warmups and stuff like that. So the athletes can still warm up appropriately and hopefully prevent some of these injuries coming up. Well, our last question that we always like to ask everyone that comes on, since a lot of us are still in grad school, what advice would you give your grad school self? If you could go back in time, what would you give us as some advice? Um, I would say don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, this is probably one of the only times that you'll be able to practice and have somebody as an umbrella over you to, to help when you're out on your clinicals. Um, you can try and make clinical decisions. Like I'm not saying treat people completely independently, but at least brainstorm, um, bounce ideas off your clinical instructor, make the uh, experience the most it can be. Like if you just go in and punch a clock, then that's all it's gonna be. But you could, you could really, um, learn from not only your clinical advisor, but uh, the other therapists there, like there's probably a lot of, at any clinic that you go to, there's gonna be a lot of different skill sets and thoughts in how to treat different injuries. So the more you learn, the more you talk to, um, the better your, your skill set's going to be. And don't be afraid to, to look stupid or look silly by asking a question or clarifying, like the only question that's stupid is one that's not asked and that you assume that you already know. Uh, I wish I could come up with what the, um, there's a, a graph that's the, that's in my head, like where you, you think you're doing great, you know everything, and then you're in the pit of despair because you're just so far, you're out of school just long enough where you've learned how much you don't actually know how to treat some, like treat injuries and rehab and then you have to start learning back up and start learning and developing and growing. 
And that stuck with me because um, you're just out of school. You feel like you've passed your boards. You learned a lot. You've, you've done your clinicals. And then you're in the real world and you're like, shoot, <laughs> no one's ending up like no evaluation is like how they say in school it is. Nothing's following the way the book says it should. Everyone's different and it's not, it's not lining up. People aren't progressing the way they should. And then you have to keep learning and growing and asking questions and developing. And then you build that knowledge base back up. I wish you could think of that, that graph, but it pops up every so often. And like in some, some rehab Instagrams that I follow and it's just, it's, it hits me every single time because you think you're doing really well. And then something comes and just pulls you back to reality, how much more you need to learn and grow. And it's always a learning and evolving field. So ask questions. Thank you so much again for that advice, Morgan. Uh, and thank you as a former former student athlete. Uh, it is very encouraging to know that there are people like you that are so caring and, and take their jobs so seriously uh, for their athletes and their patients that they take care of. So thank you again. We really appreciate what you do and we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Please tune in next time for more Tales from the Planet.